Hi, this is Ted Price from Insomniac Games. Today, I had the great pleasure of talking to an old friend of mine, longtime industry veteran and one of the original founders of Santa Monica Studio, current head of Santa Monica Studio, and executive producer of the latest God of War, Shannon Studstill. We talked about the history of Santa Monica Studio, their evolution and their culture. We talked about women in development, the importance of community, and much, much more. Join us as Shannon shares experiences and lessons that every developer can learn from. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Thank you for being on the show. I'm uh, happy to be here with you. It's been, uh, you know, I was thinking every time I see you, I feel like I bring up the, yeah, we met in 1997. So it's interesting that we were both sort of um, pretty young at that point in our career. And now we're sitting in front of each other in a completely different (laughs) mindset, I think. So, yeah, it's it's been an exciting last 25 years. Exactly. So back in 1997, what were you doing? Because I'm trying to remember what I was doing back in 1997. <laughs> I'm having trouble remembering. I was just brought in to PlayStation from a small developer here in Los Angeles. I moved up to San Francisco to help Dave Jaffe sort of fortify a somewhat, at that point, I guess it was a medium-sized dev team. But today, very small development team for a uh, a title that he had been working on for quite some time that was not doing terribly well. It wasn't progressing as much as he would have liked at that point. Um, so I was hired in to sort of help out specifically the art team. And pretty quickly, he was looking to recruit me into more of a production role, um, which I had never done. I was always art focused. And you started as an artist, right? In the industry? I started actually as an intern. Um, I was taking photos for Black Ops Entertainment um, and this was probably back in 2003, 2004, somewhere along those lines. And what it sort of evolved into is... You mean the, 93 or 94? Did I say 2000? I do that all the time. Yes. yes. Okay. Many, many years ago, yes. Um, it kind of evolved into take the, you know, the, the photo and scan it and turn that into ready prep for a texture. So um, I was doing that busy work for quite some time. And ultimately, uh, you know, I had done some 3D Studio Max work with lighting from film school because that's why I was um, in L.A. I was in uh, the American Film Institute looking to be a a DP at the time. So I wanted to go down that track. And I very quickly realized that you needed to work your way up in that industry. And I'm like five foot one, if I'm lucky, um, without heels. And you can't wear really heels on set doesn't work um, just in terms of when you're DP, you need to run, right? You need your, you need your running shoes on in that department to, to really um, be effective. And physically, I wasn't able to, in my opinion, really be the team player I felt like I needed to be. You're talking about grip trucks and camera trucks and your you know, 50-pound lenses are way up high. And I just wasn't able to carry my weight. So I thought I would operate. Um, which I kind of had a track in. But about that same time, Alan Lasky 
who was sort of straddling film and video games at that point, asked me to come in and intern for a uh, very, very early startup. I mean, we were working out of John Body's uh, house at the time. And I think you probably know John, right? Yes. Um, so it was like five of us. And I was taking uh, photos from a shot, a shoot that I had done at Air Force or Edwards Air Force Base and um, just kind of, you know, organizing the photos, scanning them and getting them prepped for textures. And uh, just through that process, I uh, showed the, the fact that I knew a little bit about 3D Studio Max because I had done some lighting setups in film in 3D Studio to, to do my pre-production role. And, um, you know, you're in, you know, the garage style development, you know, you just roll one thing into the next and all of a sudden they thankfully were coming to me and saying, hey, you know, what about full time? So I started to get paid, which was really nice. Um, and again, very garage style. You, you start hiring people in. You kind of know what people are working on a little bit. And I think it's probably just my lineage. I had this uh, sensibility, hey, Ted, what's, you know, where are you in your texture mapping? When are you going to need your next asset? So I quickly moved into a lead, you know, kind of a lead uh, art role for Black Ops at that time. And it just, you know, for over many, I guess it was about five years I was there, I just kept, you know, hanging with the, the approach and process. And I became an art director for uh, Treasures of the Deep, mm -hmm. which was a title that was released out of Black Ops. Yeah. And um, about the tail end of that, PlayStation, Dave Jaffe, Alan Beck and Becker swooped in and asked if I would be willing to move up to, uh, at that point, Foster City, uh, San Francisco area and work on helping a very small dev team. Um, you know, they were having some struggles with the art department, come in and help fix that and get the, get the title on rails. And pretty quickly, Dave had started talking to me, Dave Jaffe, about producing. And I had never really produced. So I was like, oh, God, I don't know, Dave. That's crazy. You know, you're, you're, I don't know what you're, what you're thinking, but that's not where I'm at. I'm doing art right now. And um, it just so happens that uh, I guess about a year and a half later, I was producing God of War with him. So, um, or for him, uh, we really established a really great partnership in terms of, you know, as a producer, very film in the terms of the structure, he was creative and what we agreed and what he was really passionate about is living in that director mindset, not worrying about the money, not worrying about the team as much. That was really where I would spend my time, process, production. So um, we did that for God of War, which was, uh, you know, the, the whole goal of setting up Santa Monica Studio at the time, as uh, crazy as it sounds today, was to be sort of the flagship studio that would develop the first iteration of IP and then pass that IP onto a B team that exists somewhere in this world, and that B team take the title while we iterate on the next new IP. Wow. Um, I think after God of War, Dave and I quickly realized it's not quite that easy to create Kratos and the world that he lives in. And um, it was very clear that God of War needed to stay with us. It was a bit homegrown and the approach we were taking to production needed to be something that we maintained in the walls of Santa Monica Studio. So, uh, What were some of the things that you learned making the transition from art to production? You know, I, I I am so thankful and I love when I hear, when I meet producers for the first time and hear about where they're beginning 
is being in the art department because I think it it's a really easy access in to understanding the technicalities of what game development is all about, but also the creative aspect of the melding of what it takes to take that concept art into full production through many iterations of modeling, texturing, and you couple that with, at that point, the limitations of what we were capable of putting into VRAM and so forth. So that knowledge really has built a tremendous foundation for me to understand the fundamentals of the challenges and the sort of the the spirit or the passion that that individual needs to bring to work every day to really realize the vision within those limitations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a open canvas, right? I mean, we'd like to think that what we're living in, at least I feel like what we do here in this industry is it's an art form. And a lot of times you have an open canvas. You don't have those limitations, but we have a lot of limitations that we live in and we have lived in. It's certainly easier today when we're looking at PS4 technology, um, but there's a lot that goes into uh, how do you strategically make something look as good as it needs to uh, and, and meet the expectation consistently throughout thousands of assets within this really restricted world of uh, hardware um, that you know has tremendous power, but you know, we have to live within the confines of what it's what it's there to do. And just for context for listeners who may not be familiar with PlayStation One development, what <laughs> were some of the constraints that you remember having to live within while making games on PlayStation One? Four bit. Does, does that like sure. ring a bell for anyone? I mean, yeah, you're you're in you know sixteen uh, sixteen colors at some it's in some cases. It was pretty limited back then, um, but challenging, right? Because you you're looking at new ways to solve problems within this little tiny you know one. I guess gosh, it was one twenty eight by one twenty eight textures. That's what we were dealing with. That's one twenty eight by twenty eight pixels. Right. I think some of the artists today would, you know, their heads would spin knowing that uh, that's what we built games around back in the early days of well, I remember technology. The first God of War was mind blowing because it created the cinematic experience that you just didn't expect to see in terms of the a lot of the boss fights that you had and just the the, the sheer sort of all, all the stuff that was going on on screen. Right. And what you must have been pulling some pretty great tricks out of your hat as far as the production team went to make all that reality. Yes. And I think in retrospect, as I actually think today, um, the technology backbone of what Santa Monica was built on was very powerful. It was a data-driven engine. This Hmm. was something that Tim Moss really was sort of the original visionary behind, uh, along with Christopher Erickson. And it gave a lot of the power to the designers and to the artists, but yet asked them to stay within the limitations of technology. So I think that for me and the way that I see the way we evolved as a studio was a really defining decision. It did not require 35 at that point. You know, these dev teams were, at least for us here at Santa Monica, 65, I think was roughly around what we were looking at for God of War 1, 65 men, women, all focused around the same goal of uh, infusing tons of assets in a game that create, created uh, the experience of God of War. And that 
uh, data-driven decision allowed each one of those people to have a certain amount of control. That typically, I think a lot of dev teams in that in that sort of time frame of industry evolution, they were looking at very heavy engineering groups, 25 engineers that you have an asset passed off to, and that that responsibility became the engineer to actually implement and make fun. The fun was put on the designers and and, and in collaboration with uh, the technology experts and the artists. And that collaborative spirit is something that uh, we found pretty quickly on uh, the first iteration of God of War, and it still remains very much that today. Are there any particular techniques that you use to make sure that people are collaborating across disciplines? At that point, um, it was brute force. Really? I mean, it was get people in a meeting and get them talking and let's break down the problem. And that cross-disciplinary problem solving, uh, I think, was key to the quality of the game experience that God of War ultimately, the first iteration, and again, still today, thankfully, is uh, known for. You get all those players at the table and they are deconstructing and constructing and looking at what works, what's fun, what's not, throwing stuff on the editing floor and then reinventing again iteratively based off of their own expertise of gameplay as well as uh, what we're seeing from the playtesting that we did pretty much, um, you know, uh, it was part of the obsessive nature by which Dave wanted to get things up in players' hands and watch what was working, what's not, and then flush what didn't. Hmm. Um, and that was very much part of the process as well. And it's, again, still part of the way we build here today. Was it difficult to get people to acknowledge that a lot of work was going to be thrown away or and accept it? Um, yes. You know, and, and Dave, the thing I, you know, Dave really was worried about and constantly thinking about and constantly putting himself in the shoes of the, the, the player. You know, he, Johnny, who's going to spend 60 bucks on, on that game that he's going to play all summer. And he's mowing the lawns uh, to, to get to that, right? It's a lot of work being put into this. And he lived in that mindset of, I want to live up to basically the consumer, the player, the, the you know, the 12 year old kid who's going to work their tail off for this experience. He wanted to, you know, make sure that that person was happy. And for me, it was, how do I make sure team's happy? Right. Yeah. And then you've got Tim in this case where Tim's going, how do I make sure technology, you know, we can basically live to framework, right? We can, we can build the game. So it was a three-headed dragon in a sense. Um, I was typically not part of the dragon part. I was more the mediator and making sure that we can make decisions collaboratively to move uh, the production forward. And it was bumpy. It was a tough. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it was probably the, the most stressful few years of my career getting those two personalities to consistently align. So do you have any tricks to build consensus when people, when you know people simply don't agree? You know, I think I came from a pretty strong background of, um, as, as short as I am, uh, sports. I, I played in a lot of, I had a, um, a scholarship for, from a small school for volleyball and softball, and I had played in high school and I think I inherently also my father's a professional football player and I think I inherently in my 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 cellular structure have this collaborative desire. 
I think things are just so much better when you put two heads together or three heads together, whatever it might be. So um, that coaching component of watching my coaches over many years, I was an assistant coach for a year, didn't like it very much. Um, it was very repetitive. I felt that job. And in retrospect, it was all building on the foundation of what I ultimately would bring to Santa Monica. But it's not repetitive here. And, you know, I think you know how crazy production can be. Every day is a new journey. Every day is a new um, sort of stake in the ground of what tomorrow might look like. Um, so I think I looked at the individual, what I call superpower. Where, what is this person's, you know, what's their spirit? What are they bringing every day? What is their passion? Where can I leverage that passion for the benefit of this particular decision or for a midterm strategic outlook or what have you, and really trying to extract that as much as possible from the variety of very skilled, very talented people that we were very lucky to find in the very early years of Santa Monica, where we had no real brand, we had no real, um, um, you know, fan base, really. Um, so everybody, to me, has something to offer that process. And it's about the coach or about, in my case, the producer to figure out what that is and where to leverage it and where to empower and trust and sort of let go and watch versus handhold and mediate and uh, break up arguments or maybe let those arguments happen so tomorrow can be a nice big reveal of happy happy hugs, which didn't happen a whole lot. But, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 was, uh, it was a wild ride. But um, we got there, and we were able to build on a tremendous legacy of, you know, we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary on Friday. And uh, watching that history, it's just happened in a flash, and it's, uh, it's been an amazing sort of experience to see how all this plays in together to define who we are as Santa Monica Studio and how consistently those values have resonated throughout the many years of the business here. Well, if you had to describe who Santa Monica Studios is, how would you do that? Hmm. Interesting. I say it's the team. Okay. <laughs> and I'd give it a very generic, you know, I don't think we are one individual. The history behind every iteration of God of War is we have never repeated the same direct game director twice. We've never repeated, I think I can say this, the same lead producer twice. So every iteration has had a very different visionary. So we're looking at the backbone of the collaborative spirit, the collaborative process that we've developed here at Santa Monica. And I think we're also looking at the backbone of the technologies, empowering the, the tools to be literally held by the designers and by the artists. Mm -hmm. And that just means that for me, it's all about the team. Team is everything here. Would you say that there is a certain flavor to the culture? I mean, you mentioned collaborative approach, communication. Uh, what other things do you think helps this culture stand apart from other studios that do similar story-driven games? I think the culture, I, I, I really always inspire people to see us as we are crafting here. So what are you most passionate about when it comes to this culture? The craft. Okay. We are we are not a machine here. We are 
consistently working within an art form. And for me, I call everyone here creatives. They're all creatively working towards the end goal of a great experience, gaming experience. And that doesn't really matter to me if you're sitting in a spreadsheet all day. You are creatively solving problems in that spreadsheet. And, uh, you know, somebody who's writing a tool, you are creatively solving problems for the best use of that tool so that an artist can utilize that in a way that allows their capability to be exploited, um, you know, in ways that they never thought possible. That craft for me is what really unites us and defines us. And I think it's pretty, I like to think that the majority of the fan base sees it and what the output is in our gaming experience. Um, we take every moment of that frame very, um, you know, we pick it apart when we sit through the last uh, cycles of closing out title. We are sitting in front of these monitors just looking at every single bit of what's happening on that frame. And that's a craft. That's not a machine. You're not just shuttling through things on a pipeline and there you go. You know, there's the end result. It is painstaking. And, uh, you know, they take that, everybody here on the team takes that very seriously and lives up to that quality goal that, um, you know, we aspire to here at Santa Monica. Are there collisions between the love of craft and the realities of deadlines for you? Absolutely. Um, and I will wane in that. Of course, depending on where we are within the dev development cycle, I will wane on what side of the chair I can really sit on. So there are times where I recognize that, uh, you know, it's time for me to, to sort of shut down on let's push the bar of um, even quality in some cases. We've got to know when enough is enough. And it's very easy to get caught up into that craft and, you know, the painting's never done. Um, that's where the discipline comes in. And I think that's where a really solid lead producer and production group can get in there with the right tone and start talking about, let's start closing these things out. And we get, we get people that'll, you know, they'll, they'll sneak in code and they'll sneak in stuff that uh, we, we said no to two days prior. We get a lot of that. Um, not, not happy about it because it's obviously, this is a, this is a business while we craft, we still have deadlines to meet and a lot of money, you know, invested in our marketing campaigns that if we miss a deadline, we've got a lot, uh, you know, a lot on the line there. So it's a, it's an interesting balance there, you know, that, that last uh, push that we see when we start to close out, um, knowing when enough is enough and the discipline behind that has always been a struggle here at the studio. How do you shift into that phase? Do you have somebody who says, okay, folks, it is time. We've just hit, maybe it's beta, maybe it's alpha and we're on the home stretch, no more new features or no more tweaks to this particular level. How, how do you guys make that a reality here? So I would say each cycle, each game that we've done has a different person or people that champion that. And okay. it's, it's because sometimes, like with Dave as an example, um, that wasn't his goal necessarily his goal was the again johnny the best experience possible so in that first iteration of god of war the very first greek uh, version it was tim going enough we're done pencils down and tim had a tremendous quality bar aspiration as well so he was coming out of the mindset of full-on quality to we've got to start closing this out and some of the biggest arguments we had were 
during that phase, which it's all crunchy at that point, you're trying to throw so much into the bucket of completing a game. But there were a number of hardcore issues that Tim was saying, nope, not opening code back up. And Dave's using the F word going, you know, are you kidding me? This this isn't the way we're going to close out this game. That um, were really tough topics at the time. Because we had milestones, we had deadlines that we had to keep. And the risk of opening up code is pretty tremendous at that point. Were there any metrics that you used in a effective way? Like, for example, if Dave's all about making sure that that 13-year-old who is mowing the lawn is going to get the best bang for his buck, were, were those the kinds of metrics you used to make decisions? Like, hey, are we going to fix this bug or not? Or was there something else that you tended to use? At that time, and what I still aspire people to use who are in the role of being able to be so fortunate to be the one to make those decisions, you've got to utilize that technical common sense, um, what makes logical sense in the circumstance, but also understand what the goals are from a creative perspective and who's involved in the check-in or in the decision-making of what we're going to introduce at that point when it gets really pretty um, you know, risky. And make the call based on your gut of, you know, I, I know Tim Moss is all about quality. He's going to be extra careful about opening up the code. Um, you know, Dave might be somebody who's going to throw a little bit of extra in there just because that's what his, that's what's driving his passions. And, you know, the balance of all that with the person who's maybe even the person checking in the code, it's, it's, um, it's using all that you have learned about your team as the coach or the producer to really make the best, least risky decisions in that moment of time. And then, you know, I think it's making it clear if this doesn't work, we're all here till three o'clock, right? So let's make sure what we're doing is spot on and that we are really all aligned around what the potential is of worst case scenario. You know, it might be worth explaining the risk that we're talking about to some of our listeners who may not be in development, we, we take it for granted sure. that when we are making fixes in code or in certain assets at near the end of production, the risk goes up exponentially. But what really does that mean for, for your team, for your product? What, what do you mean when you talk about risk? So if we introduce a, let's say at the tail end of God of War, Dave comes up with an idea where he wants to introduce a bunch of ravens um, and they swarm. And it's, a, in his opinion, a very easy sort of um, swarming code. Uh, that the potential there is the swarm could go wrong. Late, we're not able to play test it as much as we would like. We can't get QA's hands on it as much as we would like. But it's really important to the story that the swarm that he originally realized, which maybe was implemented with five birds, needed to be 25 because it's just not selling it as well as he would have liked based on playtest. People are missing that part of the story. They're just not realizing that the swarm was even there. So Dave wants to enhance the swarm. For him, it's a button click. Well, Tim, can't you just make you know 20 more birds appear? What's the big deal? Well, there's a frame rate issue. There's are these things even uh, from a texture map VRAM perspective? Is that going to work? The animator might say, "I didn't, I didn't animate the swarm to be 25. I animated it to be five birds, and they're interacting very small and you know a, a smaller pack than maybe what a swarm of 25 would look like." So I'm not happy with 
you just hitting a switch. So I want to go in and reanimate the entire, right? So it starts this sort of um, domino effect across a team who cares about the craft enough to go, no, you can't just flip a switch here. I want my stamp. I want what I work on here to look to quality. And um, that sort of tends to become something that rose organically as a topic on the production floor where everyone sits. And all of a sudden you've got, in the case again of God of War, we had about 65 people full-time on the floor. The entire team knows about the swarm. So it's not a, it's not a secret. It's not something that you can do you know, in a, in a black box. Um, so then it becomes a, a communication challenge. And then you get people a day later going, well, I didn't know about the swarm. And all this stuff is happening, and I feel out of the loop, and I'm not participating in some of these quality decisions that need to be made. And it's a reflection, in this case, maybe the animator, of my group, where I didn't know what we were animating for 25, and now the swarm looks like crap, and I'm pissed, and so are my 15 animators, right? So it's a lot. I mean, when you talk about the scope and scale of where we are today with God of War, it's a ton that you need to consistently have a, a pulse on and a beat on. So, you know, God of War 1, we probably had, I would say, five producers, you know, and today we're, we're cusping over 25. We have a large producer um, team contingent here, and each discipline has a producer that tracks assets and um, supports the individual discipline staff. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, are the producers constantly communicating with each other? Is Absolutely. That, okay. Critical. And how has that changed production for you in terms of those last minute, oh my God, I can't believe we did this uh, moments? Has that cut down on those? Has it, has it changed how you ship games near the end or well, how you ship he, games in general? Yeah. You know, Ted, it, it, it's the way we've always done things here. We've always, because the team was only 65 back on God of War 1, today growing by 20, it's not that big of a deal. And these are assistant, associate, mid-level senior producers. So okay. we, we run the gamut just depending on how large that particular discipline is. So we don't know any different. Hmm. I, we've never shipped a game here without a, a, a you know, production discipline that's supporting the individuals and the scheduling and the predictability of that schedule, which is always um, a bit crazy. Um, so it, it's part of the philosophy, um, as, as you know, when Dave and I were looking at the structure of the studio back in uh, 2000, it's, it, that partnership was, again, based on film, and um, we felt pretty critical to the success of the creative visionary. Because, you know, Fundamentally, we don't want the visionary to have to worry about the money. If you hold the money and you hold the team and you hold the creative power, there, there's a tremendous conflict there in the way that you can make decisions. If all Dave has to worry about is Johnny, the 12-year-old, um, that's the mindset that he can come to every problem to solve. And it's then the producer, in this case mine, on God of War 1, to figure out how it's going to happen. And when we didn't see a similar sort of solution, it was up to us to horse trade mm -hmm. and to understand how we were going to go back and forth with a respectable, um, you know, approach to solving that problem that worked for team and worked for Johnny from Dave's perspective. Is there a particular mindset or personality that you look for in your producers? It, I, for me, it's evolved over the last 20 years. 
today, I am, I am more inclined to be really uh, sort of um, brought into a producer that shows a lot of awareness within their initial interview process with us. That awareness, I feel today, is really critical in being able to make that connection into the dev team, understanding the, the subtleties of what's going on in the room when things might get contentious, um, reading between the lines, knowing the personality. So for me, I'm doing a lot of discussion at this point within the leadership and management group around the importance of that, you know, being aware, that, that uh, ability to see through what's here happening in the moment, but looking ahead a little bit. And so do you also have to deal with all of the personnel challenges when somebody's upset or about maybe something that's going on in, in production or something that happened to them personally in the studio as the head of the studio? Is that something that you spent a lot of time on as well? So with the structure, the way we had, so my head, the role I'm in as head of the studio, there's a structure under me of uh, production directors, managers, leads, producers. There's a pretty good foundation for the ability to see those types of issues and to level up throughout the hierarchy. Um, it will hit, everything hits my radar through uh, the management group. I have one-on-ones with that, that entire crew. So I'm aware of it. I like to give Ken, in this case, Ken and David, and when Yumi Yang was uh, um, driving God of War, the latest forward, give them as much autonomy to solve the problems within, you know, the, the, um, the, the process by which the development is in any given new state every day. So that, that solution needs to come from what's going on in the moment on the ground and what their gut feels is the best solution. Same sort of thing for me today with Dave and Ken. I'd like to inspire them to do as much of that as possible. But I'll get into a room, and you know, Dave, Dave and I did this today, just brainstorm ways in which we can empower, ways in which somebody needs to feel supported, um, and how can we do that as a studio, really, or as a dev team, and who can we bring in to help that support system. So we're doing a lot of brainstorming through discussion, but they're on the ground, actually sort of inspiring the deployment through the manager or um, doing it themselves. I will be brought in as they see the need. Okay. But it sounds like you know everything that's going on or any of the, the major fires that are burning. You're yes, aware that's of them. the goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, switching gears to the present, to, to the present games, uh, I was fortunate to walk past your trophy case mm. as I came in today. I, I don't think I've seen a trophy case that large. Mm. And and God of War arguably won just about every single award last year or this year. Uh, how has that changed things for the studio? Well, you know, I think Sony, PlayStation, Sony as an organization, it's a very humble culture. And I venture to say that... Um, we are very proud of our accomplishments, but I, I, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of change. The thing that I'm inspiring is, I think, as humans, uh, we tend to, you know, you, you can maybe rest on your successes a little too much. So 
shortly after we did see the um, awards um, trickling in, part of the dialogue that I was having with management and leadership is, how can we make sure that we are consistently looking at ways to level up the studio, the atmosphere, the culture, the way we're supporting the, the dev team? So sort of quickly launching into that dialogue, reminding people that, yes, we had a tremendous accomplishment. The, the challenges we had ahead of us uh, in, in 2011 were in many ways, in retrospect, if I were to look at the lineup of everything we were dealing with in 2011, I would have said, there's no way we would have been where we are today. Um, but let's not rest on our laurels. Let's not look at, you know, yeah, game of the year. I don't need to work as hard as I did last iteration. Um, we aspire, and I think everyone here aspires to be great. And what does that mean to you as an individual is important today as well in like, what is your story in that? How are you going to create your story and how can we support your story in that greatness? But it's also then coupled with the journey that we're on here together as a studio working collaboratively towards this next iteration of uh, what Santa Monica does best, which is the next iteration of game. Is there anything as you are making that, as you're moving into this next game, whatever it happens to be, that keeps you up at night? how to find the, the caliber of talent that allows us to be successful. Um, it's a very competitive landscape here. In, uh, we are no longer located in Santa Monica Studio. We moved to the reserve, which is in Playa Vista, um, back in 2014. And we are still in the LA area, um, you know, so that, that, that landscape exists throughout a, you know, a, a radius that really makes it difficult for us to, to, you know, the blizzards are right down the road, the riots. Um, and their new studios opening up from big competitors in L.A. Yeah, we, uh, we are acquiring big new studios as well. <laughs> I've heard that. Mr. Ted, yes, congrats <laughs> on that. It's awesome to have you part of the family. Thanks. Yes, yeah, so, it, and then you've got the Hulus, you've got the Netflix, you've got, you know, the Google announcements. Um, it's, that's scary to me. That's, it's, a, it's something that we think a lot about, the recruiting, the sourcing, and for me, and I was just having a, a discussion with Scott Rohde this morning about sort of the tools and techniques and leadership support that I'm really looking to leverage for the future of Santa Monica and give people um, the ability to grow that skill set of leadership. Um, for me, that's one way that we can be defining is really um, sort of explored the opportunity for Santa Monica to be the place that you really get supported in the areas that you want to grow, whether it be artistically or leadership or what have you. And what can we do to today give the tools to our managers and our leaders to really um, put forth that, that level of, of understanding of where that skill set desire is in terms of growth for the individual and how do we provide that to them? Are there specific things you're doing, like having seminars, trainers come in to, to help with leadership skills? Yes. Uh, back last year after the release, and we had some, a little bit of downtime, um, I had a summit with all of the leads, producers, the uh, management, and all the senior management of the studio. And it was done in a three-tier process where it gave me an opportunity to sit in a room with each um, group and listen to what their challenges, their struggles, what their blockers are, 
and um, come out of there with a somewhat united look at the way that we want to support the business moving forward. And, it, and it's all we. This is not me sitting there dictating. And, um, you know, I think that's another aspect of what we were looking to achieve is get that united look at how are we going to now, um, being that we're bringing such a large dev team together from around the world, how can we get people somewhat aware of and locked into what our values and our mission is moving forward? Um, and it kind of goes hand in hand with let's make sure we're not resting on our laurels. We also have coaching here that we do on an individual or group basis where if someone's struggling with a challenge where they don't feel that they're understood as well as they would like to be um, on a dev team, and this, there's all kinds of topics that pop up. Um, they want to be better perceived in meetings. They want to be able to run meetings better. We have coaching that we can introduce for that person that um, get them into a room in a very confidential setting and kind of get down into the core of what maybe is driving this um, insecurity of talking in front of, you know, 300 people. We need you to take the mic in in all hands. What might that look like? And can you envision that? And, you know, we all have our challenges and um, being able to be given an outlet to tackle that if you're so inclined is something we can offer here. Do people have to come to you for that? I like to vet it because I like to understand what the motivation is. Well, I guess what I'm, I'm not asking if they have to come to you specifically, but do people have to raise their hand and say, I need help with X? Or are there situations where you recognize that somebody needs help and you have to convince them that this would be a good opportunity? It can happen both ways. Okay. Um, I think the overarching goal here is we are here to help. We are here to help you grow. And if we see a blind spot, we want to be able to be transparent about that and offer the support necessary if that person's willing. And I think that's really important for me is that it's not about you have to go do this. It's you've got to want to do it, mm-hmm. but we have the resource here for you. We also do training where it's more of a group style training around some of the fundamentals of the way we do production here that really matter. Um, you know, above the line, below the line. There's so much passion with these creative artists that come in. And again, for me, the creatives are across the board. Technology doesn't matter. The artists coming in with a tremendous passion around what they believe to be the best way to implement or build. And um, it's not necessarily shared across the board. So to understand a lingo that everyone can share in the room as an example, the above the line, below the line, I can say to you, hey, Ted, you're a bit below the line with the way that you're handling this critique. What's going on? And you get it. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had a long night. I didn't get much sleep. And I just don't think, you know, this approach is the right way to go. And I'm sorry I'm so dramatic about it, but I'm just letting you guys know. Are you this. calling me dramatic? <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> 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 a... Yeah. <laughs> I'm very dramatic. You're, you're actually Seriously. not. You're one of the, the, yeah, you're solid. No, but that's a, I think that's great that because we find the same, the same thing. There are often times where people do have blind spots and it's really useful to have a, a safe environment where people are comfortable with you saying, Hey, I think that maybe you could improve in this area and we're here to help. That's pretty awesome. You know, it's what can we do to help you to be the best you can be? How, right. you know, where's the wing beneath, you know, the wind beneath your wings? And um, that really 
it's one of the reasons I like the job so much, being mm-hmm. able to provide that for an environment like this and see the results in the game. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, it sounds like that's an important retention tool. I mean, because you talk about how the competition here for talent has just gone up and up and up, especially in the LA area, yes. right? And so giving people that path to somewhere aspirational is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. I think there's absolutely a retention tool, and I think uh, you know the the people who really can get behind this. There's also a, you're again you're a coach. You're watching your player performs. So there's a you're you're satisfying. At least for me, I look around. I'm like, this is just um, an amazing experience to be the ability to, to support this number of creatives. It's what brings me to work every day. Yeah. So it's uh it goes both ways. Retention yeah. and self. Um, fulfilling, you know, being able to um, give people what they deserve um, to really realize what they're capable of. I think something else that stands out as well about how you've run the studio is your your gender diversity here, right? I think what I read yeah. is that at least maybe it was a couple of years ago that 20% of the workforce here is female. Yes. That's, that's incredible for this industry. Yes. What have you done to ensure that you are promoting Santa Monica Studios as a great place for women? Well, honestly, Ted, I walk the walk. Yumi Yang walks the walk, right? Megan walks the Every female here, it's you can be successful here as a female. And we support each other in that. If there's any sort of um, challenge, I am right there for most anyone, you know, anyone that's going through anything here, I want to do the best I can to give them what they need um, to work through it. Life's hard, work's hard. <laughs> um, what can we do to be the best support system for you? Um, so we don't we don't necessarily recruit from that perspective. Um, we are solely looking for talent and capability. Mm-hmm. If you're male, female, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak. You know, um, it's it's about that critical capability. But if you happen to be a female, we want to create an environment where you feel comfortable. And um, that's top of mind for me at all, at all times. I hear anything that seems a little bit off. It's like, Lup, let's get in a room. And, and I want to fully understand what's gone on or what the perception is. Um, things are changing in this world. And it's not just about um, you know, women having challenges. It's across the board. Mm-hmm. And uh, that environment and that, that safety, being able to come into a place every day, and be, um, I guess, a little vulnerable in what you're doing here, and, and you're bringing your passion. You got to feel comfortable. You got to be able to trust that what your uh, focus is is about the the task at hand, and not what's happening behind you, right? So, um, yeah, it's a it's an important piece of making sure that the atmosphere is a place that people feel comfortable in. What do you think we as an industry need to do to have an an even balance between men and women in the industry in terms of the numbers of folks who are working on games? Um, I think that sort of same sensibility in terms of atmosphere is really important. Empower those females to do what they can to invite and empower the the females that are maybe new to a company. Make them feel at home. Make Mm -hmm. them feel comfortable. Um, I think we could be doing a lot more I believe at the at the sort of the um, middle school level. I, I don't I don't in high school level. I don't feel college is really where you hit it. I feel like it's the younger years. 
we just had a project scientist group of 35 young young women, very young women, girls come in, um, aging from six to, I think it was about 14. Um, and we spent the day, a bunch of females here at the studio donated their time and volunteered along with some male to, um, you know, teach the game development process and talk about stop motion animation and how we, um, how we design and how we problem solve. And um, to really show the collaborative spirit of game development and get them into a room together and pass the baton to them to be the creatives and watch them go, wow, this was not at all what I thought it could be. And there might be an opportunity for me to be an artist or, or an engineer. Um, I, Did you find that there, was, there were some preconceptions among them that they couldn't? Um, I think it's probably similar to what I experienced when I was that age. You just don't know what you don't know, right? It, it, video games, for me, uh, was, it was magic. It's something that just kind of happened. You know, Miss, Miss Pac-Man or Pac-Man just, I don't know where it came from. All I know is I love to play it. Didn't really recognize that I could make a career out of it. And I think that's what the real important takeaway is, that this can be a job for you. If you want to be a, a, a coder, um, there's an opportunity for you so that it seeds it. Mm -hmm. And ideally, they then maybe work a little harder on their maths and um, they're able to track this a little bit into the future of, you know, the way they're making decisions around high school courses and then ultimately colleges. Are, is there advice that you would give to other heads of companies along the same lines? And what, what would you want the rest of us in this industry to do to get that message out there uh, in a more concrete way to females who are younger, maybe, maybe love games, but don't realize that, Hey, this is a career and this is a career for women. Um, I don't know that, you know, I've done some speaking engagements and so forth. I feel like rubber hits the road when you can actually bring, it's actually, you know, it, it isn't just female, it's, it's inner city children, right? Mm -hmm. There are opportunities here in this industry. So bringing them into Santa Monica Studio, I think, is really um, potent, where you can walk the floor, meet people, see the diverse um, dichotomy here of the types of people we have walking the halls. And it's, it's world, you know, we, we hire from all over the world, and it's pretty easy to see it very quickly. And um, ideally, they make that association where, wow, if, if he can do it, I can do it. And um, if she can do it, I can do it. And it, it, it sticks in, I think it's a bit more powerful because they're able to visualize and see it in action versus, you know, me standing up in front of uh, a room talking about it. Do you go out and visit schools as well outside of, outside of LA? Do you ever go visit? Mostly in LA, okay. um, some colleges, but I find most of, again, what really we do tours here. So we'll bring, right. um, you know, a bus of kids in and spend some time, good quality time. And we, we have no problem finding volunteers and, uh, we'll, we'll actually, after the event happens and our team all hands, we'll do photos and talk about it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we get a few emails after that. Hey, I want to be involved in the next one. Please let me know when we have this opportunity again. Do you rely on a community team to help set those things up or, or promote the fact that Santa Monica Studios is open to this? 
We do it a lot. I mean, there's so much need out there. We do it more word of mouth. People, Project Scientist was brought into uh, the studio by Megan, who's a senior manager. She's a manager within the uh, production team. That She's got a young daughter, and she just found out about this Project Scientist and just brought it to us as, hey, is this something the studio could um, you know, get aligned around and support? And the timing was right, right? We have to be really careful to not, um, you know, we're not a Scott shoe. Everyone understand we are not here just, uh, you know, touring people through the studio. We were, we were in production. Yeah. So the project scientist just landed in the right time. So we have to be really careful about where we're putting our time and our efforts because a day like that is many, many, it's hundreds of hours collectively yeah. of coming together on what that, this one was a little more camp-esque in the sense that we had, um, you know, a program throughout the day that they were being brought through. And uh, that, you know, we, we everything we do here is of quality, and it takes a lot of time to design stuff like that and really understand how people are going to learn, especially with the age range that we're talking about. So we have to be, you know, cautious around how much of this we do. But we'll do it for our fans. Um, you know, we've got people that um, are maybe going through um, you know, tough time with cancer and God of War has always been their, you know, mainstay of, of gaming experience. Uh, we'll do it on a very, very small scale as we can all the way into, um, you know, um, high school students. That's fantastic. Well, I hope other people listening who either are project managers, producers, studio heads, take that into consideration. I think it's something we should do at Insomniac. We are we have the same challenges in that usually we're in production on something that we haven't announced. So it's there's a tension between opening the studio up and uh, and sharing versus keeping everything confidential. So so speaking of that, one of the coolest things that you guys did was creating the documentary. Yes. Behind God of War. So what would you do that again? Huh. <laughs> um me personally or would you uh, as a as a business as Both. a studio boy that's an interesting question ted i think i need to go to some therapy to really dissect <laughs> um you know gosh i don't know i i guess i guess i was not i really was not a champion of the idea I was not. Well, I apologize if I brought up a touchy subject. No, I didn't no, realize. No, you were. no, it's fine. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, Corey's always up for those types of things. Um, Aaron Kaufman, our our senior online community manager, was really the guy behind the scenes, consistently pushing this kind of on me. Um, I was, you know, focused on production. I don't have time to worry about movies. That's not what I'm here to do. And um, he really saw it as a tool to amplify and market and recruit. Um, which I did too, but there's just so many, um, you know, challenges that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, bringing in a, um, a documentary team here was not one of the, the highlights of something I wanted to necessarily think about because of Corey's interest in it. And there were some certain truths to the fact that it, that it helps to really push God of War into uh, an awareness that we needed to really strive for based on the fact that we were reinventing the franchise. Um, and we had the PDSG team um, that wanted to come in and um, um, Brandon Akinson is somebody that's always been a fan of the studio and he felt like he had a vision for this. So it was a slow drip sort of approval and a bit uncomfortable. Um, 
But that's what made it great. I mean, I think that putting the, first of all, putting faces to names, right, and seeing who's actually working on creating this magic was incredible. It was fantastic. But also having people speak honestly, right, and kind of you're ripping off some band-aids there. And I think that's the kind of candor that I don't think players get to see very often from us who are working behind the scenes. Yes. It was a really great look into dev team and the challenges that we have. Um, some of the challenges. Yeah. Um, and I do think it highlighted people and that, you know, and, and boy, these teams are so big these days. It's not easy to really, you know, get everybody in there. Um, but Brandon did a really good job dissecting, working with Corey and, and Aaron on what is the story and who can be the standout uh, storytellers within that mm -hmm. uh, experience. Um, I feel like kind of going back to the other um, topic that we just got off, that being a female leader in this industry is important for me to be out there. So that's really the sort of um, approach that I took in making the decision to be part of it. I was not really prepared for the, the sort of the mindset that I would be in while they were capturing this. It was a pretty tough time for me, this, mm. this entire last uh, five years or so. So, um, it, yeah, it, I think it grabbed a little bit of that and, and ran with it, which um, revealed a little bit more than I think I was prepared to, to reveal. But it's all good. <laughs> well, survived. it's really cool that you guys did it. And I mean, from a fan's perspective, and certainly we talk about it at Insomniac and we've come close to doing behind the scenes documentaries, but for the same reasons you just mentioned, it's been difficult for us to, to jump off that cliff. Mostly the, the concern is what we don't know. How much will this oh, gosh, impact yes. production? Yeah. What's it like to have somebody standing in a room where you're, you're, you're having a, a heated discussion about a feature yes. and they're filming you? Yes. <laughs> are people talking honestly? Those are all the questions that we we ask. It needs champions. Hmm. I mean, it can't. I mean, there there was a lot that we, we couldn't bring in to um, various meetings and so forth. Cameras and um, there were points where you had Corey going, "Nope, it's, it has to be there," you know. And I would be there as the person that could get in and fully understand what the impact potentially would be. Um, but yeah, there's always things going on that uh, show a not so great side of various personalities and individuals when you're dealing with such a crazy production cycle. I, I think it's, I mean, just not to belabor the topic though, but I, I think it's great because we talk about production being tough, right? Or things being crazy or chaotic. And those are just words, yep. right? Being able to see it from the other side, I think really does paint a much more filled in picture for anybody who wants to get into development and sure. for somebody who has potentially solutions. Yeah. Right. I, yes. I love it yes. when people come in from the outside at Insomniac and they say, I've, I see some of the issues that you guys have, you're really close to it. So let me suggest some things that sure. you might not be seeing. Yeah. And you, obviously you expose some of those to the world in a documentary. We probably should all do it. Yeah. I mean, if we're also fortunate to have a game that is as you know successful and people are paying attention to it, that's, that's super cool. So I, anyway, I commend you for having the guts to do it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not the only person that should be commending for sure. <laughs> the whole team, yes. Yes. And Gory. Yes. Uh, so you, you mentioned community team. Yes. And for us, that is something that has been a fascinating evolution over the last few years. It's just the rise of community and community managers and teams. Yes, absolutely. How, how is that for you here 
in, at Sony Santa Monica evolved? Well, um, it was read an article and, you know, decipher what you think that article was saying and go off and make some gut decisions around what you're going to do with next iteration or the next playable or what have you to, we are directly talking to fans. Hmm. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, team is everything, but we are here for the fans, right? So, uh, it's really changed the way that we have our own internal discussions. It's not around what necessarily just the lead designer thinks anymore. It's what was the play test like along with, you know, Hey, you know, X fan, or we got, we lot, we saw a lot around tweets or what have you that this particular section of the level just wasn't very fun. And um, we're a lot closer to that dialogue than we've ever been. And it's, it's empowering. It's exciting. It really gives us a boost. It's a, it's a great way to fuel a dev team in many ways. Cause that's who we're doing it for. Those, those fans who are, um, in this case, with us every step of the way, we've been really lucky. Well, now that you have presumably tens of millions of fans, even more, uh, thanks to the last few years, yeah. where do you see community going and, and how do you see its impact increasing? And I, when I say community, I mean, not just the fans, but your team who's collecting and, and, and helping with that information. You know, I think the more we can pull that into our process, the better. Um, I don't want to go as far as to say, you know, how how could the fans be more applicable to our development process? Um, but to some degree, that's a very interesting question. How can we leverage um, the, the technology of the future to bring them closer to what we're doing um, in the production process? Um, I think there's ways to do that that gives us greater visibility into, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you get your hands on it. Yeah. And that's a really powerful, um, you know, tool to take the people who are living and breathing this experience every day of game playing into our experience every day of production development and how do we leverage that for the way that we see our future, I think is uh, something we should be spending some time on. Maybe our two companies should talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we, that... we could actually even uh, <laughs> guinea pig, pig it a little bit across companies first. I think so. I mean, that's actually a great point. I mean, just to bring it back to a sort of a selfish place, we, we are both a member of a very large worldwide team. Yes. And for us as a, as a newbie, in this family, sort of a newbie. Sort of. <laughs> it's it's really cool to think about the opportunity to share a lot more openly our, our you know, games that maybe haven't been announced yet, and and get your team's perspective on it because Absolutely. we are we are an, we as developers are our own community as as well. Absolutely, we would love to do that. Yeah, um, we have a pretty close relationship with Gorilla, where we have uh, two people from Santa Monica, as an example, um, get an opportunity to go to Gorilla in Amsterdam, sit inside dev team and actually watch that development process for a week. Really? And then they'll do that back and shoot a couple of guys or gals over to us. So an exchange program? Yep, for a week. Like a student exchange program, uh -huh. right? Yep. So that's super cool. Yep. And um, that sharing happens, you know, a lot at that point where we're playing their game, they're playing mm -hmm. ours and that um, development experience and just gamer experience is something that we commingle in that setting as well. So yeah, we, for me, it's wherever we could um, partner for the benefit of 
process or the actual outcome of gain yeah. experience and that fun factor, we're all over it. So, That's yeah, great. We're happy to have you guys hanging out with us more. Cool. Well, sir, there's some inside baseball for everybody. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to switch just to the future, right? It's always fun to talk a little bit about things we really don't know. Uh, so we're on the verge of another big technological transition in games. Uh, what do you think is going to be the biggest change over the next two years? I, I, oh boy, how do I answer this without talking about, I look forward to exactly what we were just talking about, allowing more of a open communication from developer to fan mm. through future iterations of what we'll be doing um, as an industry, I guess I should say, but it's, it's a little more funneled than that, but. Yeah, I think we can get even closer to the fan and share more about what we're doing um, with less, um, um, I guess, a little more free form. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I love that. I think this last generation, we saw a lot more input coming in from fans, right? With the, with the rise of YouTube and much more willingness to, for you know, people just to, on the spot, explain what they felt about our games, right? Go out and watch streamers. You are getting a usability test right there, even uh, though the game's already shipped, right? Yes. But now, yeah, I think that there's an opportunity to evolve as developers and, and send information back the other way. It's just we have to be able to let go a little bit more right. than we normally do. And be able to is the, the challenge. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily the developers that are limiting ourselves. It's you know, we work for a large organization and we have to be really careful about uh, what we say sometimes. Well, I mean, we're all, I mean, to your point earlier, we are all people, right? We all have the same general interests, which is we're trying to create something that's going to be remembered forever. Right. I believe that's generally our, yeah. our, our goal. And of course, there's the monetary aspect. We are a business, so we have to stay in business. But I, I also wonder, what do you think we're really afraid of when it comes to let me use an example. So PR is a huge, is, is important for us. When we unveil a game, like that's huge. It's like a bomb going off usually. Right. So that's one of the things that I know holds us back from sharing things with fans early. Right. Do you think we'll ever get beyond that? We, as say the, this side of the industry where we're generally making large AAA story driven games. Um, you know, I feel like, at least here at Santa Monica, we are willing to open the kimono on a lot of topics, a lot of um, what we're doing. There is the surprise element that we are still creating a form of entertainment that people are looking forward to in the spoiler piece, and we're story-driven, so that's really important. Right. So it's more of that side of the business that I think asks us to be living within certain expectations that... Um, I, I end up in you know, managing a lot of here at the development side where people are like, well, why can't we, you know, what's the big deal? I've got Twitter in my back pocket. It's my, you know, it, it's mine. Why am I being limited? And, you know, to your point, this is a business. We're here to make money. And if you see or hear things that spoil that ultimate goal of driving revenue, um, PlayStation has a, a sort of a, an expectation of, where you as an employee need to, to live. Yeah. 
Um, so it makes it challenging, I think. I, I, I agree with that. I, but on the other hand, I also see amazing technology being developed as we create these games. And there may be a lot of opportunities we haven't really thought of. And I'm, I'm saying we at Insomniac more than Santa Monica. Uh, about how to show off some of that stuff without pulling back the curtains on the story, right? Because most of us are, I'm, we're worried about the same thing you are, which is we don't want to spoil the story. This mm -hmm. is about a journey for players and we want them to be surprised, delighted along the way. But there are a lot of things that we generally can show that are that don't spoil the experience. I'm just thinking out loud and brainstorming about how, you know, as we move further down the road, could do these things that we we haven't really considered. Probably we haven't considered this since I think Resistance when we started showing off some of our tech demos uh, using the after we had announced Resistance, but but without giving away too much of the story. Not to be a downer. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay. I think we have a challenging enough time getting the game made. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure today, at least here at Santa Monica, how could we could support any sort of um, promotion of different types of technologies that we've come up with and so forth outside of what we do today, which is a GDC or a, you know, a game share that we do internally within the PlayStation Studios. Um, so that would be my first sure. response to to that and at the same time Ted I think you know really there is a recruiting opportunity there because you're showing something stand out you're showing something unique and different and oftentimes that drives talent to say hey they're doing some really cool stuff I want to be a part of that so yeah. I think um just devil's advocate I think it could also be something that would be really cool and um, catch the eyes of people that we really want to be pulling into an environment like this that will be stand out and cutting edge yeah well, here's here's the hoping. There's another. There's an idea I can add to my list of uh, <laughs> things to execute. So, what do you think? As again, as we look ahead, how do you think players are going to change over this next generation? Hmm. You know, I'll speak for what we've seen with God of War, and and sort of look ahead to how these players have traveled with us over the course of many years. Um, the what we what we really saw with the player base is they grew up with us. You know, we were a bunch of um, very young, eager, willing to do whatever it took to get God of War out the door um, in the early days. And seeing this latest iteration of the Norse story and the um, sort of um, narrative evolution of Kratos, we're seeing an evolution of our player base as well, and that was really exciting. And the takeaways that they saw and the, what what they realized through the, the experience of playing the game and how, in some cases, it was life-changing for them. Really proud of that. I know, I know um, the team is as well. Um, I'd like to see us build on that moving forward. We have a really great medium to influence and to change people's perspectives or to at least give them a different perspective. And if we can do that iteratively here, at Santa Monica and our storytelling experiences that we're given the opportunity to do, um, you know, I think that's something that can really be stand out and memorable um, for the generations that are uh, about to pick up that controller and become part of our family. Got it. So what would you like to have achieved 
by the end of the next generation, if there is an end to the next generation? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're just on the cusp of what I just talked about, just okay. the ability to influence and build awareness of this experience we call life. Who knows? Maybe it's uh, it's actually a sim that somebody's up there controlling. But um, and the games are going to reveal it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we're actually driving our own game. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> um, just being able to leverage that a bit into uh, you know storytelling and building awareness is form of entertainment. It's not about the hack and slash violence. Um, it's about you know bringing people together and connecting in ways that we haven't necessarily done as much um, in, the, in the previous history of the studio. That's such a great point. I think God of War is an excellent example of that, having made, as you said, the pivot to yeah. from something that maybe was considered hack and slash at the, during the first iteration to something that had a much deeper meaning and, obviously, as you said, fans were, were impacted by. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I think if all game developers can start thinking about the impact that they're having on their players yeah. over this next generation, you're right. There is no yeah, limit. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, to our to our influence. So, Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations on the success mm, of God you. of War and the growth of the studio. On it's, behalf of the team, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ted. This has been this has been great to sit down and talk. Thank you for listening to the Game Maker's Notebook. If you'd like to support the podcast and more content like this, please consider leaving us a rating and review. In addition to this podcast, the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences also produces the Dice Summit. To our listeners currently working in games, Dice Summit is the premier speaking and networking event in our industry. DICE will take place from February 11th to 13th at the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Listeners will receive 20% off their DICE Summit registration with code GMN2020. To register or learn more, please visit www.dicesummit.org.